0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to SaCS's new, pod, new podcast, "To Practice, a practitioner skill-building process for the field from two folks who don't know it all but have and will continue to think a lot about it.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Soret. I'm excited to be a co-host for uh, this podcast with my dear friend, Kate. I uh, currently serve as an associate vice president uh, working with career experiential learning and transitions at James Madison University in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley.
0: Awesome, and I'm Kate Radford. I serve as the Director of Leadership Education and Development at Clemson University. I oversee our formal leadership programs, community engagement initiatives, and our support services for underrepresented students in the Division of Student Affairs. So really excited to be here with you all today. Just for a little context about what we're headed into, You heard Miles say that he works at James Madison University, I work at Clemson University, but we did used to work together at Clemson and our office when we worked together at the time was about half graduate students and through the years we've reflected a lot on the training that was provided to our amazing grad students Um, but also came to a fairly obvious realization that despite all of that wonderful training they were getting in the classroom, we were the host for the practical experience that they were receiving, Um, and we bore a great deal of responsibility for helping to develop those practical skills. So this podcast is born of that realization. Since that time, we've spent a lot of time thinking through the practical skills necessary to thrive in student affairs. This podcast is to share those reflections, continue to hone our skills as practitioners, and offer a chance for us to intentionally sit down together and stay in conversation with one another. We will do that via a grouping of seasons that will each be based around a specific skill.
1: So we figured we would kick it off with a couple of quick features we plan to have in each episode. Um, So Kate, I'm not really going to explain this at all because I think you're the right person to do this. Um, Can you tell me What interesting things are currently happening in the Half Mile Lake Facebook group this week?
0: Oh, Miles, am I excited to talk to you about this? Um, So for some context, I live in a neighborhood in Greenville, South Carolina, um, near Clemson, where I work, and... um, I imagine a lot of people listening to this can relate to sort of the banter that goes on on Facebook in a variety of settings. But I think one of the real highlights of that banter comes in neighborhood Facebook groups, and I am in one of them. Um, So there, you know, there's two things going on currently that are generating a lot of chatter in the Half Mile Lake Facebook group page. Um, the first that I actually am legitimately very excited about that. I just need to brag about for a minute is that my neighborhood does this really amazing thing of bringing in food trucks from our local community, uh, throughout the summer. And so right now there is a very heated conversation going on about who we should invite for those food trucks this summer. Um, miles and his family spent a lot of time with my family at our neighborhood pool. And so he, um, knows that it's pretty fun when you can swim and then go get some food from our neighborhood, uh, food trucks. So that part I'm deeply invested in and really excited to see what comes, but what we're really here for is the, you know, drama in the neighborhood Facebook and, or the most ridiculous things that come out of the neighborhood Facebook. And right now that is Beverly, the dog. Um, and I'll keep y'all updated on Beverly, the dog, cause I think it will be a continuing conversation, um, to be had, but there is a dog that appears to maybe, um, not have a home. Although I think we're finding out more and more that that may not be true, that she may just run from home and has now found free food and, um, some nurturing people in the half mile Lake neighborhood. Um, and these people are deeply invested in Beverly. So they've named her Beverly because they found her on a road named Beverly. Um, but they, um, essentially are really stalking this dog. And, um, chasing her all over trying to figure out where she's coming from and making plans for feeding her when people go out of town they make a point to let everyone know that they're going so that someone else can take on responsibilities of beverly um lots of elaborate plans for trying to trap in someone then home beverly so just a lot going on with beverly the dog and um, i think it's a saga that will continue so i'll be sure to keep all of our listeners updated on that
1: well, I'm just happy to hear the fine folks of Half Mile Lake really um, working as a community together to lift yeah. not only one another, but to, to lift our, our canine friends. That's great news.
0: It is. It is. Yeah.
1: Um, in other news in Half Mile Lake, Kate, do, um, have there been any snakes that have killed any ducks in your yard recently?
0: Uh, not recently, but Miles, we are early in spring. We have not really hit that, you know, season of life, if you will, or of the year. Um, what Miles is referring to is that half mile lake is named such because it is on a very small little, I believe man-made lake. And, um, there are lovely ducks that often will nest in my yard. And, um, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and they have really seen some things in life because they have seen really the cycle of life play out in a lot of ways, (laughs) including uh, that entire process of those eggs, but also, unfortunately, some snakes attacking said eggs or other ducks attacking those eggs. So sometimes it's brutal in the half mile lake neighborhood, particularly at my house where you can find me many a morning in my pajamas, running outside and chasing off snakes and or big ducks that are trying to hurt the other ducks eggs because I'm just not here for it but
1: protector of wildlife Kate Radford there we Thanks. go um I also like you saying probably man-made like it's got to be like really top five most man-made legs I've ever seen I mean it's it's really up there
0: <laughs> I could have du- man-made meaning I could have dug it maybe my <laughs> so yeah to be
1: fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually made by humans, no machines yeah. necessary. Yeah,
0: just, just me and my shovel.
1: <laughs> just me and my shovel, Kate made like. Um, all right, so we also plan to incorporate an old idea of our mutual friend and uh, Kate's current colleague, my former colleague, Erica Lee, who's a, a real Saxo star, um, into the program. So the idea is this, you can write into us and share a shout out for a student affairs friend and we'll read it in this section. And in keeping with our shared commitment to social justice and our work, we would ask that you make a donation to an agency working on the multitude of ways our society can become more just. Kate and I are also going to be making donations for each shout out. And since we haven't had an episode to share the good word of this effort yet, we pick the shout out ourselves. So... We'd like to shout out an amazing professional, Ashley McMullen, who is a former student of ours at Clemson um, on her recent promotion to uh, be the Associate Director of Student and Young Alumni Programs at NC State. Um, Ashley's a really incredible person and a really student-centered human and getting to know her has been just an incredible part of, of this work. So if you would like to share in the future, please email over your shout out with your donation agency and plan to, Uh, My email address, which is S-U-R-R-E-T-M-D at JMU.edu. If you would like to know, that is not my full last name. Uh, I assume that my last name will be misspelled by many of my colleagues here at JMU, but that's just the way our emails work. Um, So yeah, outside of my neuroses related to that, Kate, what agency are we going to be supporting for this particular shout out?
0: Yeah. So we've decided for this week to bring it back home to Clemson where Miles and I met, and we are going to be supporting the Little John Community Center, which is a fabulous agency here in Clemson, South Carolina. Um, They have an incredible Head Start program, after school program, um, and they truly are just a pillar in our Clemson community. So we're pleased to be able to send our donation there this week. So thanks to you and to Ashley for that. Right, So kind of getting us into our content, although I could talk about the Half Mile Lake Facebook and Miles and I knowing each other for a while, but we'll try to give you some good content here as well. Um, We have decided to focus this first season on the topic of supervision. So we're going to start off with a reflection on our supervision philosophy, and then we'll get into other facets of supervision in the upcoming weeks. But thought we really needed to get sort of our grounding here first and talk a little bit about how we're coming at this topic. Um, So, Miles, why don't you get us started by telling us how do you conceptualize your approach to supervision?
1: Well, I I think the main thing that I do is that I um, genuinely believe that we have been socialized to believe that the supervision process, and I think some of this is like wrapped up in toxic masculinity and some of that other stuff, is about a analyzing a human being and their ability to do a job, and then looking for corrections, looking for things that they are doing wrong, that is then your job to fix, and that there's this inherent, like, it has to be hard in doing that, right? That's sort of like baked into this process, right? That's like the old sort of boss kind of idea. And I think that it is actually sort of, and I don't know if this is like, I would need to, I'm, I would need to do one Google to discover whether this is a real thing or not, which I have not done. But I've conceptualized this as what I refer to as this is not a Clifton product, but I think of this as strengths-based supervision. So my sort of philosophy around this is not how do I identify what's wrong? Of course, there are things that may need to be corrected. I don't live sort of like in a fantasy world. But I think about supervision as what are people doing right? What skills, abilities that they currently have? that I can actively get them to do more work of how can I lead you know how can I nurture their strengths in order for them to do the best work that they possibly can and then you know and and have conversations about okay, are there gaps? are there things that you know this is consistently sort of holding you up from getting where you want to go and of course having those conversations but it's really I think, more about what you're looking for. When you change the lens, it stops being about what's wrong with this person. It starts being about what's right with this person. And I just think it becomes a really fundamental, I think it becomes a really fundamental change in how you think about, uh, about the supervision process. And I found that to be Uh, pretty powerful so the closest you know thing that i have to sort of a conceptualization or philosophy about supervision it's that of course there's lots of modifications and context that we'll be talking about for you know for several episodes here but in terms of broadest you know broadest sort of uh, brush that's how i that's how i think of it
0: yeah i love that can i ask you do you um was you talked about sort of that being like a switch, right? Like that, that's not the way you were socialized or why we're often all not socialized. Was there an experience for you that, that got you there? Like, do you, did you feel that switch in yourself or have you feel like that's always sort of been your approach or was that modeled for you somewhere? Like, where does that come from?
1: I think I, you know, I read something somewhere. Um, and and honestly it may have been some sort of, you know, strengths facilitation that, um, I, I really don't remember, but I remember reading something at some point about how um, folks, you know, in, in not focusing on what people do well, you know, there's this tendency and people, you know, when they talk about supervisions, oftentimes these management structures or people supervise a ton of people. And so they have these sort of, you know, you read things about Silicon Valley or sort of about, I don't know, like sort of old corporate models like GE or something like that where folks have, you know, tons of super supervisees, and they focus on their sort of drag performers. And I think this is, you know, um, sort of a generally known thing. Um, But folks, you know, focus on those drag performers, and it doesn't really result in higher productivity. Um, And so I think I read that at some point, and we don't really necessarily think of the education work as like productivity work. So it's very, you know, the application is a little bit different. But yeah, I think I read read something at some point, and it just sort of led to this different kind of application about how um, how I thought of it. And some of it is just is just from the process of sort of reflecting on, um, you know, the, I mean, this is kind of an interview question that you can get, right? And so there's just been times where I've had to sit down and sort of codify in my head, okay, how do I, you know, what really grounds this? How do I actually, um, you know, how do I actually think about this? And then, you know, try to actively incorporate that in my um you know in my day-to-day practice too. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I can say as someone that worked with you, I think that you do that well. I can I can think of lots of examples where I think you find the best in people where you have taken people who often, you know, did not feel that confidence and and allowed them to be in places where they shine and it does I think it makes a huge difference. So
1: Yeah. Well, how so Kate, let me turn turn that around to you. How do you how do you conceptualize how you think about supervision?
0: Yeah. So maybe this won't be surprising um, for people that know me that I come at a lot of things with sort of a like leadership mindset, right? I'm a leadership educator first and foremost. Um, And so I think for me, I I think about supervision in a lot of the same ways that I think about leadership, right? I think talk a lot about in my work, sort of the, the differences between the practices of leadership and the practices of management. And I think supervision should incorporate a pretty healthy dose of both of those things. But I think where I really strive to challenge myself as a supervisor and, and really focus my attention is more on that leadership s- style piece, right? So, um, I go a lot to the leadership challenge, Kuznets and Posner, uh, those exemplary practices, and I think I think a lot about the work of enabling others and empowering others, right? So they talk about enabling others to act, um, and I I think for me that that is probably the, the real foundation to my supervision philosophy that my, I think my job is to set people up to be successful and it's to, um, sometimes get things out of their way. Um, I think that's from, sometimes more the managerial pieces, right? Like sometimes from a hierarchy perspective, that's the role that I have to play. Um, but from a developmental perspective, I think it's about helping people to get past some of their own hurdles and figuring out what's standing in the way of your success. What, it, what are you not believing about yourself that other people are seeing, um, or, you know, sometimes where are your deficiencies? I know that sounds a little bit, you know, contrary to what you just share miles. I agree with you on a strengths perspective, a hundred percent. but I think for me, sometimes it is about identifying and helping people to articulate, you know, I hear people say, I, I just, I can't do that, or I don't do that well. And I think drilling down into like, well, what don't you do well, what can not you do well, and where is their area for growth? Um, and how do I, How do I set you up for doing that? How do I enable you um, to practice that skill set to believe in yourself to um, have a chance to maybe fail in that and to be supported through that, despite um, maybe some failure. Um, I think the mark of a good supervisor and Miles and I have talked a lot about this because I think we've experienced in the time we were together at Clemson and certainly before and after that you know, people are going to come and go. Um, and I think I have worked with people and for people who took that really personally when you leave, right. When you have departed from a place, uh, there's sometimes, um, sadness about that, of course, but I think sometimes supervisors can hold on a little too long to people. And I, I, I think I try to approach supervision of how do I prepare you for what's next? And, um, not take it personally when you leave, but instead maybe take it as a sign that I've done my job, that I've prepared you to go on to the next step. And, um, I think that that's a really important part probably of my supervision as well.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that conceptualization of like, basically supervision as a growth process, you know, like I, I think, you know, the sort of identified efficiency piece that you mentioned there, I do think it is, is don't know. I mean, I think about this all the time, particularly in discussions with my children about, you know, about where are they in terms of, you know, I mean, it's just ground zero for these conversations about like who's smart and you know, who's fast and who's, you know, all these things that, um, and um, you know, I don't think of in any way, shape or form as um, you know, parenting and supervision is the same thing. So like, I don't want to draw that. (laughs) I don't want to draw that false equivalency. That's a real uh, loser of a concept, but I do think that um you know that the idea that we situate not you know like I think about growth in terms of you know myself all the time you know in terms of you know where the where the spaces where there are opportunities to continue to develop those skills not that you know like we're inherently you know like I have things that I'm more comfortable at doing than others you know like I don't for instance I like I continue to like try to hone and grow as somebody facilitating discussions and dialogue and, um, and meetings. And I think that that's something that I've always admired about, about you and your ability to do those things. Um, but I don't like, I haven't like decided that, you know, like it's not, you know, to sort of the deficiency piece that you're talking about, I haven't like decided that I can't, that I'm not just going to do that because I can't, you know, like it's, that's not really a, you know, that's not really an option. I don't think there's, um, a ton of student affairs jobs that don't involve you know some degree of facilitation and, and leading meetings and so um yeah i don't know i just i i do think i don't know i think that that's um, i think that's such a good point and how it how it transitions into how we think about supervision as an opportunity to sort of continue to grow into to ten, continue to grow into spaces and uh, you know whatever that may be is that you know is that you know, continuing to grow and excel in the role that you have? Is it continuing to grow someplace else? Is it continuing to grow in a different capacity here? You know, um, all all sorts of stuff. So yeah, I just, I think there's, I think there's such wisdom in that. Thank you. So in transitioning to our next piece here, um, something we really wanted to have, you know, Kate mentioned the word grounding earlier, and I think that that's like a really critical word here um, and really essential to everything. You know, I think everything that we're gonna continue to talk about supervision is really based in this one question. Um, and whether we explicitly name it or not, I, I think that this is really a, like a foundational piece for how we think about what supervision looks like now, what it will continue to look like um, and how we really honor folks. Um, and that's how we consider the impact of identity on supervision. So, Kate, you know, very, very small question here. How do you prioritize identity and the lived experience of supervision for folks?
0: Gosh, yeah. I wish you could have asked me a harder question. I mean, this one's just so straightforward and easy. Um I mean, so many things come to mind when I think about that, um, that's the concept of identity. And, and I would, I would add in there like identity and power in supervision, because I think that those things are so, uh, intertwined. Um, and I think we can't have a conversation about supervision without recognizing the power dynamic. And we can't have a conversation about identity without realizing that power, idam- power dynamics come into play in identity. So gosh, there's just so much in that. Um, I think the, the first thing I would say about sort of how I, I think about that and how I try to work it into my supervision um, is to recognize that supervision is, is deeply personal, right? That you are, um, I, think, I think we get ourselves in a bind if we um, mistake treating everyone the same as being the same thing as, you know, fair and equitable, because I don't think that that is. I think that we have to be, treat people as unique individuals because they are and they bring with them unique identities. Um, and certainly there are, you know, bare bones, HR policies, right? Like law and ethics stuff that of course we're gonna do from an equity standpoint, but that it's more than that, that we have to recognize that um, people are people and they're bringing with them a lot of stuff. Um, so, you know, I think one thing that I have to keep in mind a lot um, and I have to remind myself a lot is um sort of like the iceberg philosophy or idea, right? That we only see so much above the surface of people. Um and what I mean by that is when someone comes to work with you, you're seeing them at like a snapshot of their lives, right? Like you might spend a lot of time with them and think you know them really well. Cause I think I do know my colleagues and the people I supervise really, really well. I spend a lot of time with them. People that work at Clemson in our department know that my kids call people here at work, my family that lives at work. Um, And they really believe that. Um, So I think I know people really well, but I only know like a small snapshot of their lives. They come with a lot of past experiences. They come with future goals. They come with really unique needs. And so I think probably the biggest thing in keeping sort of identity in mind is, is recognizing that, recognizing uniqueness and um, being attuned to that and um, being willing to, deal with, I guess, some of the challenges and just the complexity um, that comes to comes with some of that, right? Like, it's not going to be straightforward. There isn't a book you can pick up or a checklist that you can grab and just tick things off and and be the perfect sort of identity conscious (laughs) supervisor. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, I think, you know, at the heart of that is, is relationships with people is um, being clear about, Who you are, being as vulnerable and transparent as possible with people and inviting that back from them, but not expecting that back from them. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I could go on and on about some of the, there's just so much, so much here to that question. Um, But I'm curious what, yeah, what you're thinking on this, Miles.
1: Yeah, I mean, just in terms of that relationship piece that you're talking about there, I mean, I, I generally think that, you know, like a philosophy that I have in life is that we oftentimes, in, in spaces of difference or in spaces of, uh, of, you know, just spaces of what is discomfort. We oftentimes clam up, you know, and there's this idea like, you know, like I, I do fundamentally believe everything that you're talking about past experience, future goals, unique needs, you know, like there are, you know, like all of that is real. This is not some sort of, you know, like I, I hope that no one will hear this as some sort of like color blindness kind of washing. But what I am saying is like, I do like fundamentally believe if you just care about people on a daily basis, you listen to them, you don't impose on them based on based on their identities um, and really engage in a relationship with folks that 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 is what, um, you know, that's what care looks like Um, and, you know, care manifests in different ways. And of course, um, you know, of course got to acknowledge, you know, like, I think really critical to all of this is that, you know, you used the word power earlier, Um, you know, like, I am acutely aware of the identities that I hold of the, you know, of the, um, you know, cis, male, hetero, white, you know, many other majority identities that I hold and how I carry that into my work and how that intersects with power. is a very very real thing, and I think that like not acknowledging that, not thinking about that, not iterating that in terms of how you approach, you know, how you approach practice. I just it has to be a level of thoughtfulness that that um, that for me personally that lives um, with you know with the work that I'm in, um, and and I also just think that you know that sort of uh, that sort of discomfort. I mean, I, I think what I have um, found, um, to be authentic and unique and real and, and, and really an active, um, an active sort of shared commitment and care is just to engage with difference, to understand that, um, you know, to understand that this is a, you know, that this is a, a learning process, but not to impose that learning process, to make it where it is, uh, to make it where is an open, um, and, you know, an authentic conversation, but also understanding that as that's built in, that you have to attend to that power and to that privilege as you're going through it, at least, you know, I, and the identities that I hold, um, those are things that, that I have to do on a regular basis. And I, you know, I have to, um, I have to think through those things.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. And I think, you know, hearing you talk about at the very basics, right? Like some self-awareness about those identities that you bring in the impacts that those have and that, you know. I think we think about supervision a lot of like, how am I um, impacting other people? How, what is, does what the relationship piece look like? And I think sometimes we forget the like self-awareness and the self-work that goes into supervision, right? It's not all about what's like being poured out of you to other people, but also about the work that you're doing for yourself. Um, and yeah, I think the the power dynamic piece is, it's hard, you know, I mean, I think you're, you're talking about essentially like an amplification of power when you're talking about identity plus, positional power in a hierarchy and that gets really really intense and and complex um and yeah i think for me that's like a place where i am constantly looking for ways to try to i don't know that the word is like neutralize it because i don't know that right i don't know that you can neutralize it and i think that's probably um too big of an ask um but how do you balance it manage it right some of those power dynamics um you know i think one thing that and this is really small, right? But like one thing that I have tried to do is um, that I don't always have one-on-ones in my office. I know that seems like small, but I think that that's like a power dynamic piece, right? It's like, come to me, sit in my office and tell me what you're working on, right? Like there's just this, this there, those one-on-ones I think are a huge space for you to, to practice um, balancing some of that power and um, being conscious to the identities in play. And um, so sometimes that means, you know, like going with staff to something that they care about and like using that as a one-on-one opportunity and learning about them and, and letting them be the, the one with like some power in that space. Right. Um, but I don't know if you have thoughts on other ways you've done that or other things related to sort of power that you would suggest. Cause I, I think you have done a lot of work to, to think about that and to be aware of it and, and, Constantly working towards again, I don't know that neutralizing is the word, but balancing, managing some of that.
1: Well, I mean, I think some of this is that like I, I will, I do what I can, and I'm sure, and I'm sure, I'm confident. You know, you know, ingrained, you know, racism that lives in society and lives within me. I'm confident that that manifests in a variety of ways that I, um, you know, uh, am, are unseen and. Um, but I do really actively try to commit to doing my own learning. And I think that that is like a really, I I think that that commitment and basically, you know, like I've, I've, I conceptualize my own work towards being an equity minded educator as a lifelong journey. And it's something that I'm never going to unlearn, And it's just a process that I'm, con- that I try to be constantly engaged in, you know, like if you, you look at my office I am you know like I'm always reading something related to equity work um, and and one practice that I have engaged in in the past is that I, I do try to center learning and supervision and I know that this is sort of like a, a simple thing but it does provide a common language and it also as you change you know as we're talking about shifting that power dynamic a little bit um, a thing that I've done in the past that I, I think you know you'd have to talk to the folks that I've worked with to know whether this is the case but I think has been, beneficial in terms of doing my own learning, but also shifting power a little bit and also engaging with difference is centering learning in the supervision process. And one specific strategy that I, that I have done and continue to do is to, is to engage in a, in a shared reading process with the folks that I work with. And I, you know, really actively hope that, um, the folks that I work with will be the, the people who will decide what it is that we're reading. And so, um, and, and that is, ha, is, has, and I hope will continue to be a really great learning process for me, a way of shifting power a little bit, but also I think a really good, even outside of conversations about it, identity and difference, a really good way to have a shared language about approach with somebody that you work with in terms of, you know, we, we've worked through this idea together. Either we now have this content that we understand, or we've really wrangled, you know, really wrangled with some big ideas. And more often than not, those have been books that we've read about, you know, identity and about equity. Um, and so, I mean, that's been, that has been, um, I think for me and my own learning that has been really beneficial, um, and, and has been, uh, I think helpful in shifting that a little bit.
0: Yeah. I love that practice too, from, uh, you know, I think there is fair, very fair criticism, um, of folks who, you know, want other people to, teach them, right? To like help me learn about this and and putting that like labor on other folks. And I love, you know, it sounds like there's like shared learning in that. There's shared, there's shared knowledge, there's a shared level of, you know, you know, expertise that's being developed together. Um, no one person asking another person to sort of do their education for them, but being able to engage in that together. And, and I would argue there's, you know, I think sometimes the power dynamic that's in play is that oftentimes in a supervision, role there is maybe more content knowledge of the the area that you're in um and so sometimes just that like um it's nice to be in a space i can say as a supervisee it's nice to be in a space where you feel like you have like the same amount of knowledge or you're building knowledge together and you're not always sort of the one that's like trying to catch up or trying to learn or um, trying to keep up with the with your supervisor so i love that model it's something i've stolen from you as you know so (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's a commitment, you know, like it is a statement that like, not only are we engaged in ongoing learning, we believe in growth, but it is like a real statement to say that like we believe in the power of education, like we're learning together and in doing that we not only know one another better but we're better prepared to, you know, to support and, and challenge our students, um, so I I I don't know. I I don't think it's for everybody. I think, you know, I've had some folks that have been, you know, not particularly, you know, excited about it. And there are times where that kind of waxes and wanes, you know, you get in seasons or you can pick the wrong thing. It doesn't have to be a book. It can be articles, you do podcasts. I think it, you know, but I think it helps to, you know, I think um, it helps to have that sort of um, shared learning experience. I mean, we had a, um, I ended up sort of I think leaving before the cycle fully finished, but I know you and I had, we had a common read in the department that you still work in that I used to work in last summer about free speech on campus. And the, and the book choice was certainly not, you know, not perfect, but I think the process, you know, it doesn't have to be, there's been many times where it's been like, we're going to sort of work together on like our frustration about this thing, you know, or actually, you know, some of this is, you know, like, that was an, you know, you and I had an interesting sort of sidebar dialogue and we weren't reading that just together, but it was also a process of understanding how other people were responding to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that was a, you know, to eloquently state, that was a good thing. So.
0: Well, you know, and it's funny that you bring that up because one of the things that keeps coming to mind for me around these like power dynamics and identity, um, you know, I think I mentioned one on ones as sort of a, like a way to practice it. I think that's a place where power dynamics really play out. I think the other like two things that come to mind for me, um, where like identity seems to you know, identities and everything right but where I really feel it um, is conflict um, and in decision making processes and I think what you've just described. Um, we experienced both of those with those some that summer read. I think there were people that were frustrated and angry. And so working through Mm -hmm. conflict, um, in a way where we were really intentional, I think, or tried to be about balancing, um, power and not like, well, we made this decision and we're going to read this book and you're going to love it. Um, but right. Like that we can talk about our frustrations with it. And, um, and I think that that plays out a lot in decision-making processes, like that we have to be, um, we have to be cognizant of, our identities in that, and um, you know, I think the like stock answer is like, well, we just do shared decision making, or we bring everybody in, and but like I don't hear people talk about how they actually do that and how they actually um, consider like different people's needs in decision making, or you know, I think particularly around conflict and confrontation, like knowing that identity impacts how people engage in conflict and confrontation, and and how much they're going to say and how much they can say, and. Um, where they're going to hold back or um, how they're going to come across, right? Like all these things that are just like swirling around conflict and decision-making processes. And again, if we walk into those spaces, just like, well, everyone can come in here and say what they think in this decision-making process and don't pay attention to the dynamics, what might be keeping people from doing that. I think we've, we've really done a disservice as, as supervisors.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating question about how sort of, um, group processes work and how you, you know, and how to, how to balance and attend to those kind of questions. I mean, that's, that is a, that is a big, uh, that's a big question. I don't know, maybe that's an episode we hadn't planned. Um, (laughs) Might need to, might need to add that to the list.
0: Add it to the list. Yeah. Well, um, we always want to wrap up these podcast sessions um, by sharing some resources with y'all listeners. Um, It's one of the things that Miles and I Talked about sort of as we planned big picture what each of these sessions would look like and and trying to think about what is a conclusion to these look like and, and said you know we t- started the session talking about that this is supposed to be about skill building it's supposed to be right about practitioner work and and all the things that we continue to reflect on and and need training on and so um, I love the idea of us always sharing a resource with you all something that you can continue to. Um, dig into this topic more on. Um, Miles and I will never, ever, ever claim to be experts on any one of these things. Um, We hope that you'll continue to engage uh, and think about these topics on your own. And so, um, Miles, you want to share with us a resource that you're thinking about um, related to this topic that you would recommend?
1: Yes, I can. Uh, Happy to. Um, I will say, and I think I just sort of wrap on this, i uh, finished my uh, dissertation and my doctoral process last fall and i um the background on that is not probably uh, that interesting for this particular uh, setting or maybe for anybody ever but uh there was one through line of that process which was looking at which was looking at um there was one piece of it that was really looking at how uh, emerging professionals um, adapt to being in the field of student affairs and looked at the literature related to that. There's a lot of scholarship out there about that. Um, but one thing, it, it's a little bit hard to draw a through line to that, but one thing that really stood out was the importance of supervision. So I you know, I will say that I think um, supervision is like really worth your best shot. It is like really worth your best stuff in terms of you know, the, the possibility of um, engagement with students. It is, and I, and I hope folks will, will hear this, it is the work. You know, like it is, I think folks, sometimes I think a mistake that people oftentimes make about supervision is they're basically think of themselves too busy with their to-do list to support the people that are actually engaged in broader reach than they themselves actually are. Um, and that's outside of sort of the ethic of care or anything related to that. So I say all that because one article from that process that I think is 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 helpful and, and can be a good guideline is... Um, Uh, Dr. Ashley Tull, who I believe is the program director of the student affairs program at SMU, um, he wrote an article that was actually based off of his dissertation on synergistic supervision that was published in 2006, uh, despite the uh, title perhaps being sort of uh, of that era. Um, of 2006. I do think it, you know, it really gets into that idea of mutually beneficial and reciprocal kind of supervision relationships. And, and there's definitely good stuff in there. So if, you, if you're looking for a resource, just kind of a, a place to start is how you're thinking about supervision. I think that um, that article um, would be a good option. Kate, what are you thinking about for a resource to share?
0: Yeah, so I would direct folks to, um, well, a couple of things, um, a couple of resources, I think, but embedded in those resources and the thing that, to be uh, fully honest, the thing I've had the most time to actually like dive into and look at, so I can't speak to the, the broader article and or broader books that come with this, but um, recommend taking a look at a really great model of identity-conscious supervision um, that was published, it has been published several times. Um, I think probably most notably um, in a book called Identity Conscious Supervision and Student Affairs that Rutledge produced, um, I think 2019 is the date on that. Um, And again, haven't had a chance to dig through that entire book, so I can't speak to the the broader piece, but can speak to um, a model that's presented in that book about identity conscious supervision. And, And what I like about it Um, I think I said earlier, right, that like none of this is a checklist. Like there is no, like, do these five things and you'll be a great supervisor or do these five things and you'll be a great identity conscious supervisor. Um, It is, you know, you look at the model and your eyes kind of like cross because it is a little intense in terms of um, everything going on in it, right, recognizing sort of these various levels, like individual level, supervision level, um, organizational level, and sort of all of these intertwining things that are going on. Um, but I like it because I think it recognizes the complexity in that. And it gives some really strong takeaways for how we go about this work and, and how we think about it um, in a meaningful way. So check it out. And if someone gets a chance to really dig into the full text, shoot me an email and tell me if I should go pick it up. Cause I'm, I'm thinking maybe that is something to add to my bookshelf. So.
1: All righty. Well, Thanks to everyone for joining us for the first episode of Two Practice presented by SAXA. You can get more information about SAXA, which is the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, on its various social media outlets, which includes Facebook, which is facebook.com/saxa fan page on Twitter at SAXA tweets, on Instagram at SAXA grams. And I would also highly recommend signing up for the SAXA alert, which is a great uh, source of information, not just about SAXA, but think the folks who put that together have done a really great job highlighting Texas members and everything. Um, I I feel like it's a really community-grounded piece. Um, So thanks everyone for being here. Thanks, Kate, for going on this journey with me. And um, I've already learned a lot in this episode. I even learned how to turn the sound notifications off of my Outlook. So um, I'm in really good shape. Um, Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Miles.